Pastor Xavier Reese with one worldly perspective of death. I heard of a Texan who um, requested to be buried sitting behind his big old Cadillac with a big stogie in his mouth. And as um, they were lowering with a big old crane this big Cadillac into the big hole, some of the cemetery workers looked on and one of them leaned back on the shovel and just said, man, that's living. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Concerning the death of believers, C.S. Lewis said, If we really think that home is elsewhere and that this life is a wandering to find home, why should we not look forward to the arrival? In fact, the promise for our eternity is in Romans 8, for as children of God we are both heirs and joint heirs of Jesus Christ. And today, Pastor Xavier draws on the death and burial of the patriarch Jacob for the simple truths of the passing of one of God's own in a study entitled, Death, the Ultimate Step. Let's listen. Genesis chapter 50, verse 1 through 26. Jacob has just finished prophesying over his sons regarding the last days. He has pronounced both curses and blessings, Judah and Joseph being the most prominent. And then he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. This brings us to the burial of Jacob in Canaan. Let me read for us our text. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned him for seventy days. Now when the days of his mourning were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying in my grave, which I dug. For myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go and bury your father, and he made him swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the uh, servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house, only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a, a great and very solemn lamentation, he observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning all at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is the deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Bel Mizraim, which is uh, beyond the Jordan. And so his name, his sons did for him as he had commanded them. Uh, for his sons carried him into the land of Canaan, buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre and Abraham brought with the field from Ephraim the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, and he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, uh, perhaps Joseph will hate us and um, may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, before our father died, he commanded, saying, thus 
You shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sins, for they, um, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive their trespass of the servants of God, of your father. And Joseph wept because they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went, and they fell down before his, his face, and they said, uh, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am, uh, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring, about, uh, bring it all about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And so Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children for, to the third generation, the children of Makar, the sons of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. The burial of Jacob in Canaan is unfolded for us through the procedure for the burial, verse 1 through 6. Secondly, the procession of the burial, verse 7 through 14. And then the preoccupation after the burial in verses 15 through 26. It is the final chapter. It is a glorious chapter because it ends in hope and not in doom, but in hope. Death is never doom unless you're a non-believer. Death is always hope from the Christian perspective. And so the procedure for the burial, notice first the lamentation and embalming prior to the burial is given to us in verse 1 through 3. In verse 1, Joseph was sorely grieved, rightly so. Joseph fell on his father's face. Israel just finished prophesying over his sons regarding the last days, revealing the mind of God, what would happen to them once they came into the promised land and they took their inheritance. Israel just took his last breath and notice he was gathered to his people, as chapter 49, verse 33 says. He didn't die. He was gathered to his people. Never forget that. When you die, you don't go away somewhere. You don't cease to exist. You are gathered to the people of God. Very, very important. And we'll look at this more closely. Now, Joseph wept over him. The word for web means to weep bitterly, as you know. Uh, the same word is used for the various times that Joseph had confronted his brothers and he wept as they came to Egypt. And death is certainly something that no one expects and nobody really looks forward to to an extent because we want our loved one here. But there is something when your father dies or your mother dies, when you bury your parents, especially if you're close. I know the burial of my dad and the death of my dad took a, a, a it, it changed my life in many different ways. It was like a watershed. Um, you know, as long as your grandfather's around and speaking in baseball terms, you're in the hole. When your grandfather dies, now you're on deck. Then when your father dies, you're up at bat. And there's no pinch hitter. You're next. And that's the way life is. You move up in the line. Joseph kissed him. 
Um, this was in fulfillment of the prophecy of God. Remember, he met at Beersheba before he went to Egypt, and God told him that Joseph would put his hands on Israel's eyes. This is the fulfillment. God gave him 17 years with his son. Hmm. Joseph was prepared to ensure the care of his father. He commanded in verse 2 and 3 his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the word physicians literally means the healers from the root to sew together or to mend. And notice that these were the personal servants of Joseph. Uh, probably um, lived in his own home. Uh, Joseph's command was carried out by the physicians to embalm Israel. The patriarch finished well. Notice he's called Israel. One ruled by God, by submission and obedience and complete dependency. How will you finish? It's not enough to say, I began great. It's how will you finish? Will you finish as a man and a woman of God in faith? That's important. Joseph was honored, noticed by the Egyptians as they mourned for his father for 70 days in verse 3 there at the end. This was the usual time spent for mourning of people of importance, uh, two days shy of what was for Pharaoh, 72. Joseph in verse 4 made petition to the household of Pharaoh regarding the burial. Notice the specific time was when the days of mourning were expired and the words were addressed to the household of Pharaoh. People wonder why. Well, the term household is indicative of royal family and Pharaoh's courtiers. In other words, the reason for Joseph not being able to go before Pharaoh is because he was ceremonially unclean during this time. And also remember that he was second to Pharaoh. He needed his permission. So it's a twofold reason. Now Joseph made his petition in humility. Notice in verse 4. The request was presented as a favor, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, he's been there a long time, it's because of him that Egypt is alive. The request was for their intercession on his own behalf. Please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh. And Joseph expressed his vow to his father as the compulsion for his petition. In verse 5, Joseph's personal commitment was expressed. My father made me swear. Joseph's paternal quote was declared, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. And so he had prepared it all for himself. Joseph's passion plead is, now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father. You almost sense that they didn't want to let Joseph go. He's the chicken that lays the golden egg. Uh, you're coming back, right? <laughs> hmm. Joseph was granted his petition by Pharaoh in verse 6. And then Pharaoh made Joseph the vow to return. And he made him swear. Wow. There's a little reluctancy. <laughs> we move to the procession of the burial in verse 7 through 14. Look at verse 7 through 9. The procession was impressive. The representatives of Egypt were present, verse 7. Joseph, being second on the throne of Egypt, is mentioned with the Egyptians. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and Joseph was accompanied by all the Egyptian dignitaries, their servants of Pharaoh, the elders of the house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. And the representatives of the house of Joseph were also present in verse 8. Joseph's brothers, his father's house, 
um, the commentary provides uh, the exception uh, in verse 8. Only their little ones, their flocks and their herds, uh, they left in the land of Goshen. Uh, I'm sure without any doubt to ensure that they wouldn't stay in Canaan. Okay, there's another precaution. Now, the reinforcement of soldiers for protections were also present. Look at verse 9. The contingency was comprised of chariots and horsemen. It's a dangerous trip. It's a large contingency. The commentary says it was a great gathering or encampment. The word great has the idea of being massive. Heavy or weighty is the word, giving an impression upon the one who sees. The root word appears 376 times in the Hebrew Bible and 45 times for the manifested glory of Yahweh. Impressive. It's a term that is used in a figurative way but applied literally. Notice the procession was expressive also in verse 10 and 11. The location is specified. They came to the threshing floor of Atad. The threshing floor of Atad means thorn. Located on the west side of Jordan between Jordan and Jericho. This was beyond the Jordan. Again, the west side what modern-day Jordan is today. The route they took was through the east side of the Dead Sea, a considerably longer route than when the brothers went to Egypt. That was about 260 miles, three-week journey. This was a little bit longer, but it was the safest because there's more water on the east side than the west side. And... They could travel up that way. And if you'll notice, the Egyptians never crossed into Canaan. It becomes a very personal issue when it comes to the funeral. The lamentable mourning then was displayed. They mourned with a great and very solemn lamentation. The minute detail was that he, Joseph, observed seven days of mourning for his father. It was a family matter. The loud and long mourning made an impression on the neighboring Canaanites in verse 11. The Canaanites seeing the mourning of the threshing floor of Atad said, this is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. The Canaanites therefore called it Abel Mizraim, which means the meadow of the Egyptians. It's a play on word in the Hebrew to the phrase, the mourning of Egypt. The location is repeated for emphasis, which is beyond the Jordan. For whatever reason, the writer wants us to know they were on the east side of Jordan. Notice the procession was a concession, verse 12 through 14. In verse 12, the sons of Jacob were doing what their father had commanded them. Joseph had taken an oath by putting his hand under Jacob's thigh in Genesis 47, 29, if you recall. And Joseph had told his father that he would do that in Genesis 47, 30. Now, the sons of Jacob alone carried out the desire of their father. This is given to us very clearly in verse 13 through 14. In 13, the record is very detailed. The place they carried him was the land of Canaan. The personal responsibility was a family matter, to bury him. The particular burial site was the cave of the field of Machpelah before Manri. The property belonged to Abraham. He bought it with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. The negotiation was to bury Sarah back in Genesis 23. The request, by the way, and promise is recorded twice for us. Once 
in Genesis 47, 29 through 31, when he met with Joseph, and then the second time with all his sons in chapter 49, verse 29 through 32. It's recorded twice. After Joseph had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. Also his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. There's something final about that. There's, there's no turning back. I heard of a Texan who um, requested to be buried sitting behind this big old Cadillac with a big stogie in his mouth. And as um, they were lowering with a big old crane this big Cadillac into the big hole, some of the cemetery workers looked down and one of them leaned back on the shovel and just said, man, that's living. <laughs> it goes to show you the blindness of the majority of people regarding death. From the human perspective, it's always wrong. We get up and say, you know, what a beautiful sunrise. We're wrong. It's a beautiful earth turning. If you start with man and reach to God, you miss God. You must start with God and point the man, and you hit the target. Hmm. The problem with funerals is that, though they may be impressive to the casual observer, it doesn't affect the dead person at all. There may be people of importance in attendance. He could care less. There may be people of wealth. Can't use any money now. There may be people who are famous, but he's the last to be impressed. There may be the most elaborate expense put out, but he's not impressed at all. Yet if a person who dies is not born again, He's lost eternally. And for that reason, we desire to share with people their need of repenting and being born again. Because when a person dies without Christ, they perish eternally. There is no nice way to say it. There is no other way to put it. We cannot make the way wider and broader than the scriptures say. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 3, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot... See the kingdom of God. It's pretty narrow, pretty specific, very clear. A child can understand it. The tragic thing that usually takes place at most funerals is the misrepresentation of the diseased. You know, um, you never hear more liars than you do at funerals. People uh, live like the devil's sidekick, but they want to be buried like saints. People will say, well, what a great person he was, you know. Oh, he just gave you the shirt off his back, and yet he was a party animal. He was into drugs, alcohol, abused his wife. None of that's mentioned. People will assure that those, those who are at the funeral that the person's in heaven. Despite the obvious sinful lifestyle, be it a fornicator, being a young person, be it an adulterer, whatever it may be. 
you know, it's like um, this um, minister was going to bury this guy. He died, and this, both of these mafia guys attended uh, his church. The one brother comes and says, hey, listen, you know, you say a good word, my, my brother. I'll give you a million dollars for your church. The guy goes, oh, man, I can't lie up there because this guy was a dog. And um, so the funeral came by, and the minister gets up and says, you know, and we'll just call him Louie and his brother Sam. You know, Louie was a pretty good guy compared to his brother. <laughs> he didn't lie. It's all a matter of perspective and proportion, right? People will also assure the presence of the person in heaven despite their beliefs that contradict the Bible. Be it the person of Jesus Christ, the way to be saved, and the need of salvation the need of repentance. Um, it's an amazing thing what takes place at funerals. Some will, um, will often say, well, you know, they said the sinner's prayer. Well, that's fine and dandy, but I can't go just on that and say they're going to be in heaven. I don't know. The only way I can tell you're going to be in heaven and be pretty sure of that is if I let time run and see your life. It's the only thing I have to go by. If someone accepts Christ on their deathbed and they are genuine, they'll be in heaven. But I can't say that for sure. I don't know their heart. I leave it there. When I do funerals, I don't ever eulogize the dead person. I give them the gospel. Funerals are for the living. The dead person, whether in heaven or hell, doesn't do them any good anymore. Now, there's a way to say it. It's not what you say. It's how you say it that offends people. When I do funerals, I pour my heart out. I'm not there to evangelize. I'm not there to get down on them. It's how you say it. But you better say it. I did this funeral one time for these homeboys, and there's just... I mean, it was back 20 years ago. I was just out of the world, too, and everything else. And I'll tell you, when I, after I reached there at the graveside and I said, let's pray, I didn't close my eyes. <laughs> I was ready to go. If I'm going in this hole, I ain't going alone. <laughs> they can get nasty. Paul puts it this way in Romans 3, 3 through 4. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Whatever people believe doesn't change God's facts. You will be in heaven or you will be in hell based on your belief and agreement to the Bible. Bottom line. The bottom line is that a Christian's funeral is a celebration of royalty. <laughs> That's the bottom line. We are children of God, 1 John 3, 2 says. We are heirs of God and joiners with Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 17 says. We put off the temporal body and put on the eternal body. We're never found naked, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 3 says. We are a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 9 says. We have been made a kingdom of priests unto God, Revelation 1, 6 says. 
the procession for the burial was an expression of royalty in its literal picture. Pastor Xavier Reese with a reminder of the blessings of God for each of his own as they are ushered into eternity with him. Comforting simple truths today, he draws from the life and death of the Old Testament patriarch Jacob. And there's much more to come next time in our study from the last chapter of Genesis, but if you missed any part of today's message or would just like to secure a copy of the presentation in its entirety, we can make that happen quite easily. All you have to do is contact us and let us know and provide us with the title of the message, Death, the Ultimate Step. It's available on CD for just $4. So again, the title to request is Death, the Ultimate Step. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and put the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This helps us monitor the impact of this outreach in your area. Genesis, usually thought of just the book of beginnings, but join us next time as Pastor Xavier Reese brings it full circle to highlight the future promises we also find there. Hope you'll join us for more Simple Truths right here. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com